Welcome to our ICT4D conference podcast. My name is Sonja Rutzel at CRS, and I'm interviewing experts for you to share insights on how they're using digital technologies to address the food crisis. Today, joining us from Kampala in Uganda is Franziska Atwi. She works at the Innovation Lab at Welthungerhilfe. Franziska, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Sonia, for having me. I'm working with Welthungerhilfe for eight years now, part of this big organization that is dedicated for zero hunger. And we just celebrated our 60th birthday. We've been working a lot towards reducing hunger and use traditional approaches. But in 2016, we decided to explore new roads towards zero hunger. And that was when we established our innovation unit. And since 2018, I'm part of that team. We support innovative solutions from all our countries. And we have calls for innovation for the country offices. Thank you so much. It's good to hear more about the innovation team. So talking about innovation, I invited you to share us more information around your agri-extension app in particular, because I'm aware of it when we spoke at our conference in Uganda a few years ago. And um, I'm particularly interested in hearing from you how it is going because we really want to also look at applications that are directed, aimed at the local level, at the farmer. So would you like to explain us a little bit more about the app? Yes, of course. So basically, it started very interesting in 2016, very independent from our innovation unit. Our country office in Zimbabwe developed an app called Kurimamari that was addressing the need of marketing promotion, a better access to markets and good agricultural practices for farmers in Zimbabwe. So in 2018, they joined our innovation portfolio and we decided together with Edona to experiment a bit how we could copy this approach into other countries and take this extension information app. Ever since we've brought it to Malawi and Uganda, the outlook of the app looks very different, like the interface looks very different in the countries. But the aim, like the, what we are trying to do in all these countries is quite similar. So it's all about promoting agriculture, information, access to information, access to markets and market information. It has evolved in each country a little bit different. For example, in Malawi, the app is very much focused on farmers that cannot read and write very well. So there the app is called Zaulimi and it tries to incorporate actually a user journey that is completely audio-led. So finally, along the process, it became also very sensitive towards certain disabilities, like we are using the app in a school of all the blinds. And it's a very exciting process. Um, over 50,000 users are on that site in Malawi now. Then in Uganda, also totally different setup. We explored first to provide this agriculture information in the setting of refugees from Sudan. So we are in northern Uganda. So the outlook of that app is also very different because we wanted to give refugees and host communities information to do the farming better or to adapt their farming approaches to the area, through the new area. So that application is very much video based because we felt in the user centric designing process, we realized it needed a lot of visuals for the teams to understand. And this app is also available in Arab and in the local language over there, plus in English. In Uganda, the app is called uh, I Know Farm. 
So this is the three apps that we have currently at the market. But as this worked so well, we decided to actually scale further these agriculture extension apps to now six new countries starting from 2023. So we are going French for the first time. We're going to Niger, Burundi, Haiti, Mali, Central African Republic and Congo and hope to design also an agriculture market information sharing app that is suitable for these new contexts. So these are the extension apps we are working with. Thank you for the overview and also explaining how it looks different in the specific countries. When you apply the app to a different region, what are sort of the main struggles you were faced or the main challenges you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, from the start, we had this hope, and this is how we also designed the proposals in the beginning, that we could just copy-paste the Zimbabwean app, right? Uh, we take the Kurimamari app, put it to Malawi, and it will work. But very soon, we realized that this approach is really not working. Like the local environment is so different, the language is different, and also the kind of information need and the quality uh, of the informations that are needed. So when we see the farmers in Zimbabwe, they're quite well educated. They have like these big farms. They have more access to machinery and When we moved to Malawi, we soon realized that the information that are needed are way more basic. Plus, they are also very much needed in Chichewa. English was not, not really working well. Then we realized also soon that their exposure to the digital world was very much different. So we couldn't just built on like the learning from other digital products where they know how, for example, an audio button looks like because they hadn't seen it. It was the first time they were interacting with digital products and they hadn't found any good products at the time that they could interact. So we are still talking pre-COVID time, right? Where like the digital space for this kind of user segment was not explored very much. So redesigned the whole user journey completely, like even introducing new symbols that they could really understand, working a lot with audio visuals. So that was the case in Saulimi in Malawi. And when we then copied to Uganda, it was actually easier. The kind of target community we were working with was more close to the Malawian group than it was to the Zimbabwean group. So maybe Zimbabwe was special to begin with. Um, so we could copy a lot from the user journeys there and from the experiences that we made in Malawi. They made us go much faster in Uganda, um, adjusting to the refugee context. We had learned a lot about the audiovisual language that we have to apply and how to test it. And we were not that surprised anymore <laughs> and on the responses that we got from the community. So the hope is like with the learnings that we have um, going in these more difficult contexts like Central African Republic, Mali, Congo, Niger, we could use a lot of these learnings from specifically the Malawian context and also the learnings we had in Uganda and apply these. So we don't start completely from scratch. We always have something to work with, but you can't copy paste these agriculture extension apps. The situations are very different. Also, the set of stakeholders that is in these communities and in, in the countries, like the setup of the agriculture ministry, how to work with them how to incorporate them in these corporations. It's it's very different. So we can build a lot on the experiences that we made. We know what we want to achieve with these applications, but the approach has to be very much localized and it's very user-centric, focused on who we are designing for. That's good to hear. Thank you. 
definitely different user journeys, but I think it's interesting that you have some learnings that can be applied, especially after having a lot of different projects you can go back to and sort of different user journeys that eventually some of the challenges will be similar. I think there's a lot of moving parts, it's especially with agricultural apps. Exactly. What are sort of the next steps? So you're saying for this app, you're obviously looking at different countries, you're looking at francophone countries. So these are the next steps? Well, there are so many next steps, basically. Uh, yeah, so for the francophone countries, we decided to move there because with COVID, these kind of approaches became very interesting. And these are also areas where it's often hard to reach like the target groups and the users uh, physically at some points. So um, we thought digital fits there very well, even if it is new to the context. So we're up to that challenge. So we secured that funding already. We are in the process of setting everything up, onboarding partners. Next year, this will go very big for the Francophone. Another big challenge, though, that we're still dealing with, and I'm sure everyone hears me out there, is making these apps very much sustainable. So we're still heavily dependent on funding at this point, and it's not interesting for donors to keep on pumping money there. So um, we are exploring business models, several ones. Uh, we have been <laughs> also very unsuccessful with some, um, have been getting more successful with certain ones. Testing a lot of new ideas, adding almost every month, every two months, new revenue streams to explore. So, yeah, like building a sustainable business model around these applications is actually one of the things that we are focusing on also for next year. We want to set them up as companies independent from funding so that at least the core team can be financed and then they can join other organizations to run these apps like on a larger scale or for further promotion and develop them further. Yeah, that's good to hear, particularly the focus on sustainability. I guess in terms of funding and investment, it's probably also very different depending on the country or the region, depending on how you work with the government, how you work with the private sector. Is that correct? It is. What we realized, it's very difficult to do private sector corporations for these kind of apps because the business is not that obvious to people. Like in these contexts, we often look at like IT companies that really lack the understanding for the target group. So as WHH, we play there together with our local partners, a bridging role, like doing the translation, adjusting the apps together. That is a huge challenge. And we also realize that it's sometimes difficult to find developers that like sustainably on a long term can provide good quality services because the cooperation that they are used to with NGOs is like one one off kind of things. So it's like you have a project, you tell us what you want to do and pay us basically and we produce a one off kind of thing. But we work very uh, iterative um, on our products. So that has become a bit of a challenge. So it's also difficult then to fundraise for that from donors, for them to understand that when we start the journey, we usually don't know where we are going because we go with the target group and design very close with them. So I think that's very unique about us. It's very difficult to find even funding. And we've been really lucky to convince our donors to go this journey with us. Then for governments, well, it has also proven very difficult to work with them because also their understanding of user-centric designing is still 
I think it's new to the space and like this whole agility that we expect. <laughs> like when we approached government in Malawi, for example, at the first uh, first time, they like, okay, so how will it look like in the end? And we couldn't tell them. We wanted them to join us, but um, we couldn't tell them. So they didn't believe in us. Then now we came back after two years of implementation with over 50,000 users, and now they want us to be their partner of choice. So it's a bit of a process, I think, picking up all stakeholders, involving as many as possible. In terms of financing, that is probably the biggest challenge. It's like when we start the journey, we don't know where we go. At the moment, I'm trying to always estimate some budgets, uh, propose the journey and the way we want to do things. It, it worked, but it's difficult. Well, thank you so much for sharing the insights around the Acre Extension app and the lessons learned in applying it or designing it for different countries. Now, I also wanted to talk to you about another agricultural app and also see if maybe some of the learnings also apply to a different types of app or what other insights you have for us to share. Okay, the other app that we are working with is called AgriShare. It's a platform where we want to give farmers the opportunity to get access to equipment, but also to provide equipment that they have. It's a sharing economy concept. Um, we've started that also in Zimbabwe. We're actually more successful after we introduced it here in Uganda and are now also scaling to Malawi. What is a bit beautiful about that app is that it directly comes with a business model. So it's it works like all these uh, sharing economy applications like Airbnb, where you charge basically a commission for the transaction. That makes it very easy. It's also different in terms of how we approach this app, like designing a sharing economy requires way more resources from an IT perspective. And it also is a way more advanced model. So that app, we actually operate as WHH and give basically the license to use it to our partners in the country. Interesting learning because you don't have to adjust so much of the user journey because like how we share equipment with each other is similar. It's a bit like with Uber that you can just like copy paste into other countries. However, language, the type of equipment that people want to share is very different. And then the integrations also with payment models that makes it different in other countries. So the biggest challenge for that app is to get enough users to make the business model work. So it needs a lot of startup funding to reach the break-even point. But we are doing quite well in terms of users. Uh, all over, we have like 83,000 users now in three countries. There, the business model was much easier than for the agriculture extension app. I understand. I imagine so if particular awareness is a challenge that then the communication has to be different depending on the country and the users and uh, has to be a very specific communication campaign then for, for the AgriShare app. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that mm. is actually the there you go bigger on marketing investments, um, like translating user education because you don't design so much onto the user while you take them into consideration, but you have more of a copy paste. So it needs more educational approaches. So we work there with agents. So it's not like an app that you just download and it works. It's more, we depend more on word of mouth and um, like user education there than for the extension apps, while the extension apps can just be operated after they are downloaded. Thank you for sharing both of these different apps. Thank you for allowing me to speak. And thank you for listening to our ICT4D conference podcast. I hope you join us again next week. 